attention, please, attention, please. This here feels like a whole entire world collapsed. Welcome to the Ballcast, boys and girls. Jay Riz and the Arisan back in the Intercontinental Lab, bringing you, the loyal listener, your favorite hoops podcast. Near, what is going on, my dude? Not much, man. Just uh, you know, we're we're coming up to fantasy playoffs, so trying to figure out where everyone kind of lines up. Um, I had to make a late push uh, coming into this week, just on the bubble, um, and there's no play-in game for our fantasy playoffs. But it looks like I'll be able to squeak in, and it might even have a potential matchup in the first round against your team that seems to be limping to the finish line. Yes, we are primed for a first-round battle. I feel like it's been a couple years since we met in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, my team is hurt, but we're, we're not going to go down without a fight. It's going to be a good one. You know what, Dr. Riz, uh, <laughs> what's your team name again? Big Honey, baby. Big Honey. Big Honey, in honor of your boy Jokic, is always going to be a good battle, and that is a good segue into the Denver Nuggets. We want to take stock of what's going on in the West. And Denver uh, made one of the bigger moves of the trade trade deadline in getting Aaron Gordon, uh, who kind of replaces that Jeremy Grant role, but can kind of be that Swiss Army knife uh, type player and has fit in really well so far. I was reading a stat that they have one of the best offensive ratings maybe ever with him on the floor and with their starting five when all healthy. Jamal Murray's been in and out, but near... Just throwing this out there, Jokic is having an MVP season. He's likely the front runner. Is there a world where Denver can go on a run and make it out of the West and make the NBA Finals? Remember, they made the West Finals last year and lost to the Lakers. Can you see that happening um, with the Nuggets? Yeah, I mean, let's. It's too bad that uh, they gave up. Like I think it was like a forty-one to eight run by the Celtics today their afternoon game it completely blew a game they should have been uh, they should have won easily um, which led to some frustration from the team but I think taking that game out um, obviously Jamal Murray being injured I you know coming into this year I think we felt they were one of the contenders in the West you know kind of just outside of the sort of Clippers Lakers you know Bucks kind of um, fold but the Aaron Gordon move was interesting I didn't peg them as a place where Aaron Gordon might go. I always felt like Denver was looking to make a move. They always felt like they just needed that additional piece. I wasn't sure what that piece looked like, to be honest, because they're just a weird team. You know, I think Jokic has a specific style. Jamal Murray has a specific style. They're, they had a bunch of guys like the Gary Harris's, the Will Bartons of the world that kind of like do a bunch of different things. Um, and Aaron Gordon kind of fits that sort of like Swiss Army knife type player that I think actually works for them where you could already see it like just in games where Aaron Gordon like to his cutting ability with Jokic like I think Jokic obviously loves having a guy of his size being able to cut to the basket the way that he does um, and offensively they look fine I think you know one of the big holes for the Denver team right now is their depth um, 
And that was evident today. You know, when Jokic went to the bench today, I think they got outscored like 31 to 6 or something. As soon as he'd gone to the bench, and I think this has been sort of a recurring theme for the Nuggets where they just haven't been able to, like, dominate the way that they would normally because, you know, years past, remember, depth was almost like, they had too much depth. Like when right. Gary Harris was playing well, they could bring in Will Barton when they needed to. You know, they had a bunch of different bodies to throw out there. This year, it just feels like that depth is going to come into to question here, especially with Jamal Murray having these nagging injuries. Um, so the only thing that keeps me concerned about the Nuggets is, will they stay healthy completely? Um, but otherwise, just as they're built, I think they're a frustrating team, but I, I do believe they can make some noise in the West. And Jokic, you know, can we agree that he's probably going to win the MVP? Yeah, I think I think the narrative, especially as the season closes with LeBron injured, Giannis has been injured for a bit. I think just with Jokic having that consistency, I would put him as, you know, not a lock, but definitely the favorite. And it's just, he has one of the most incredible stories, like, in sports. Not only just, like, the NBA, but this guy who was a second-round pick, 41st overall, uh, nobody has ever won the MVP below like the 15th pick. I think Giannis was the lowest um, drafted player, first round 15th pick to ever win the MVP. And here comes this guy, second round pick, 41st overall. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And it's like, you know, he's, I think he's 25. You know, when we <laughs> think of that, like sort of that next generation of guys, you know, all these names come to mind like Tatum, Mitchell, you know, uh, Zion, all of, like, Luca, but, like, Jokic is in that age category and is clearly the best player of all of them. Um, and he's also just a guy that we haven't seen in so long. You know, this, like, seven-footer that, like, can pass just as well as any guard, um, defends really well, and is very talented offensively. But why doesn't he get the same accolades as the, you know, the hyped younger players? Is it because his game isn't as flashy? Because to Hoops Junkies, I mean, he's incredibly flashy with his passing, his scoring. Um, I mean, is it just his, like, appearance as a seven-foot big white guy? Like, what's why does he not get mentioned in that same class? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I love him. Um, I you, think, you've been on Jokic, like, from the beginning. Yeah, and I think he, you know, some of it was, like, the last few years, like, definitely coming in to the league kind of like the season out of shape. Like I think there was some like negative stuff around him, but um, it's also like you're in Denver, right? Like it's not, um, even when he has his big nights, they aren't like the flashy superstar nights um, that like a Luca might have or Tatum, you know, where it's just like these flashy threes or like taking over the game. Like when you watch a Jokic game, there aren't points where you're like, oh, Jokic is taking over. Because um, it's all very subtle, what he's doing. Right. And I think that is just harder to kind of like translate. It makes me think of, like, you know, in baseball, Mike Trout has clearly been the best player in baseball for many years. But when we think of, like, faces of the league, you know, Tatis is now up there, Lindor, you know, these are the guys like Mookie Betts. As good, they're great, great players. But, you know, when you just think of, like, if you're a true baseball fan, you'd know that, like, why isn't Mike Trout you know, heralded like by casual fans. And it's just, I think they're just much more subtle in their greatness. Um, but you hear it from like NBA players. Like the other night, DeRozan, after the Spurs played the Nuggets, like was so like, he just had to be like, man, 
that guy's crazy. Like, <laughs> like I, I, he's like, I've never played against a player like that and was like very effusive in his praise. And I think other players get it. Like you saw in the All-Star game, like they have fun um, with him. He's obviously like a great teammate. Um, but I just think that like, yeah, appearance wise, it isn't like the guy that like a casual fan would turn to. You know, you're not going to watch Jokic YouTube videos. <laughs> Well, the hoops like, junkies are, but yeah, the casual, yeah. the casual fans are not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just unbelievable story. So the Nuggets are making a great push. How do you feel about, let's talk about the Jazz and Suns, who are 1-2 in the West right now. The Jazz are, you know, again, on a bit of a roll here. And Donovan Mitchell is really, you know, lighting it up. In his last three games, 41 points, 37 points, 42 points. For them to make noise in the playoffs, he needs to explode and take that next level leap. You know, he gets a lot of D Wade comparisons. He's a better shooter than D Wade, but a lot of people have made that comp. You know, if we remember D Wade led that young or led that when he was young, led that Miami Heat team to the title. Of course there was Shaq there. You know, is there a world where the Jazz can come out of the West with Donovan Mitchell taking that next level leap? Do you, do, you I mean, be, do you believe in them yet? Because I know last app we were, we, yeah. were, we were both not believing in them. I know, and I feel like this is going to be a recurring <laughs> trend. Um, I, I will say a big difference from last time is that when they went on that run, like Mitchell wasn't lighting it up the way he is now. So like clearly the, now that they're unlocking that piece and are being just as successful, um, leads you to believe, hey, it's like here's another weapon to throw out there, right? And one thing I will say about them, having watched a few games more recently, is that they, every possession is so smart. Like, there aren't, like, you know, it's, it's funny, like, you start to watch, like, I mean, obviously the Raptors are a great example of this, and because I watch so much of them, just when you don't have the talent or whatever it might be, some of these plays, you're just like, well, that was just a dumb possession. Mm-hmm. And the other night when I was watching the Jazz, um, I think it was against the Clippers, maybe. Um, they just like every time down the court, it was they just ran something that made sense. Might not have worked, but at least like it looks like they're and like I think they're just really well coached. That continuity piece that we love is there, right? Like obviously adding Mike Conley was, you know, and incorporating him has been a bit of a challenge. But like rest of that team, it's like so much continuity. Um, and I think that's really playing out in a way that like everyone just knows their role, um, knows what to do. And I think, you know, they, I just, it's still hard for me to, to be convinced because I just think that Mitchell is just so inconsistent. Mm-hmm. You know, where was this Mitchell at the beginning of the season, for example, right? Like we're seeing a stretch like this, then I'm sure we're going to see a week where he kind of like tails off a bit, you know, does a little bit too much. So that's where I still don't fully believe, but I, I, from watching them, I will say, like, they are starting to make me swing on the way that I think about them. Yeah, and I just I just had to look this up. So Dwayne Wade won the title with the Heat in 2006 in his third season when he was 24. And Donovan Mitchell is currently in his fourth season, and he's 24, and he's averaging comparable numbers to 06 Wade. Um, so it will be very interesting to see if he can take another leap there. Yeah, and I mean, like, Gobert is having secret, like quietly, an amazing, amazing season for a big man. You know, like not only just like I mean, we know what he can do defensively, um, but just also offensively. Like 
finding his groove in terms of what his role is. Um, but when you think back to that weight team, like Shaq was dominant um, in the paint. And just to have a guy like Gobert, I mean, nowhere near as offensively talented, but like defensively, you know, Gobert, when you watch him, it is hard to drive on him. I Like, you're just not getting to the basket the same way that you would. Teams just get befuddled. They have to change up their game plan. And I think they they have a lot of great pieces just to make, you know, a team kind of like screw up for a few games. And then what? It's a seven-game series. And if that happens, you get a couple of those swing games. And then, boom, you know, you happen to make it out of a round that you didn't think you were going to. Totally. And then, you know, battling with the Jazz are the Phoenix Suns and uh, led by Devin Booker and Chris Paul. I mean, you got to love Chris Paul just coming to this team, completely changing uh, the culture. I watched this clip um, earlier today of a timeout in a Suns blowout, and Chris Paul is coaching Devin Booker on the court, like as the Suns are huddling intensely in like a 20 or 30 point blowout. And Chris Paul has to be dragged off of the court by Langston Galloway while the, <laughs> as the play is starting to resume because this guy is like, you know, so intense. You gotta love it. Man, and like that's a team that needed that. Like for years, we've just been like, I honestly thought like if it was just around the core of Booker and Aiton, I don't think Phoenix, without like any notable admission, like additions, I, I don't think Phoenix, I think Phoenix is like a middling team. It's like classic, like two young guys that just don't have that veteran presence. How often would we seen that, like that fall apart? But like Chris Paul, the other thing with Chris Paul is that the guy, you know, think about like the consistency. Um, and even with like OKC last year, you know, averaging like his career averages is 18 and nine, um, 18 points and nine assists on like 48% field goal, 37% three. The last three, four years, he's literally on that exact same career. There's no drop off. You know, he's like every year he's consistently averaging that like 18 and like nine um, without any sort of drop off. New teams like with OKC tanking. Um, Phoenix, a completely new system with Houston. Like the guy just brings it every night and he's averaging 31 minutes a game this season, um, at his age. And every, every time people are like, oh, this is, this is where the drop off happens. And remember like when his contract was kind of like, uh, it's not that great. Like such an old point guard. Um, but he keeps reinventing his game as well. Like the, it's just a constant evolution. And so he's the big reason why I actually think like Phoenix, like that's a team that could be scary. Um, which is Devin Booker. I think he's one of the most talented shooters in the league. Um, and Aiton's starting to find his form and they just have so many depth pieces, whether it's like Cameron Johnson off the bench, Jake Crowder, they can mix and match. Michael Bridges is a great three and D guy. They have those like components of like a team that could make a run. Absolutely. And then you got, Monty Williams, who's probably the front runner for coach of the year. Um, just unbelievable coach. We all know, you know, his tragic backstory with his uh, wife getting into a car accident, um, you know, a few years ago. And for him to just have this like rejuvenation of his career reunited with Chris Paul, who he coached in New Orleans like 10, year, 10 or 15 years ago. Unbelievable story. Yeah. And I mean, I listened to um, a podcast. <coughs> with Chris Paul and JJ Redick sharing some great stories. But like one of the things, you know, JJ wanted to deep dive onto was Chris Paul's relationship with Monty Williams. And Chris Paul admitted, like he came into the league kind of like 
a hothead, you know, butted heads with them a lot. And they're just at very different stages of their own personal lives and professional lives. And it's very cool, like, for Chris Paul to talk about, like, being reunited with them. Like, they're just able to kind of, like, like recreate what they had before, but just be way more mature about it um, and really want each other to succeed. Whereas at one point in New Orleans, especially with all the chaos that was happening there, you know, they had those couple of years where they made a great run. Um, but Chris Paul was just a young dude, like not like sort of a mentor or anything like that. So it's very cool to see them like get sort of a second shot. at something that they once, you know, kind of had derailed. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, Near, what other, what else is standing out to you in the West? One thing I did want to briefly touch on is Point Zion. Uh, the other day, uh, with Lonzo Ball out, the Pelicans had Zion. You know, they've been running him as their primary playmaker more. But in that game, they ran the most plays with him bringing the ball up the court as they had all season, and it resulted in him dropping, you know, 35, 15, and eight assists. Are we headed towards a career where this guy is actually going to be? their point guard, but then also dominate in the post? Like, what, did, did this just unlock, like, a whole new ceiling for him? I, like, one of, one of the most entertaining things is to look at Zion shot, shot charts yes. from games, because they're literally all in the paint. Like, there's nothing, like, it's, it's all in the paint. He's actually, um, he leads the league. Uh, and it's, I think it's 19.7 points per game just in the paint now. Um, the last player to ever average more than that was Shaq in his 0-1-0-2 season. Um, completely dominating down there. He's, I, I think he's shooting like 64% or something. And um, But the difference with him is that, you're, to your point, he can bring the ball down the court, um, which is just lethal. And then if you give him a full head of steam, there's just no stopping him. Um, at the beginning of the season, I will be the first to admit, I was a little bit like, uh-oh, maybe a little bit too much hype, like, I don't know, but classic judging a 21, 22-year-old way too early. Um, he is totally coming into form. It's funny, like, I was watching a New Orleans game recently where it was one of the first few New Orleans games I've watched because they're often awful to watch, but... You just, every possession, I was like, just give it to Zion. Like, it they became one of the, like, it's, it reminded me of, like, when I would watch, like, LeBron, you know, with the Cavs. It's like, just give it to LeBron, and he'll figure it out. And Zion's already reached that. Um, and, but the problem is, Brennan Ingram sometimes thinks he's the guy, which he has a skill set for, but he's just not as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it begs the question... Can both of these guys coexist? I don't know. Um, and I think that might be the big question New Orleans will have in the offseason is what to do with Brandon Ingram. Because I think, like, it actually leads to the confusion of, like, okay, who do you want to run the offense around? Brandon Ingram's game is very different. It's very much like, you know, dribble, iso, um, you know, difficult jumpers. Um, and he's not a great facilitator. So, like, what do you do? And I wonder if you can, like, flip... Uh, Ingram for like you know a really good point guard or someone that's more of like a, a, a defensive specialist that like you can pair alongside Zion because that's still his biggest deficiency like for as amazing as he is to watch on on offense he is atrocious on defense um, 
really just like very late on things, doesn't move his feet well there. Um, he's also not a great rebounder, which is surprising for a guy yeah. his size, um, just in the sense that like, this is a guy that should be averaging like 15 rebounds a game, not like seven or eight right. in a game. I know, especially with the minutes that he plays. He's been unbelievable, but this has been a very disappointing season for them. They're 23-29 and 29 and 11th in the West. They may not even make the play-in tournament. And like you said, they have a very interesting offseason ahead. Lonzo Ball is a restricted free agent. You know some team is going to probably give him a, a good amount of money, and they've really got to decide like what's the direction of their franchise right now. And also, you know, whether Stan Van Gundy, who they just brought on, like should be their coach of the future. Because... As we've seen, I mean, you need a good coach um, in today's NBA. Do you think he's the guy for them? It's crazy because, you know, I'm a, I love Stan. <laughs> um, I think he's just a great character. Yeah. Um, and there was definitely hope for me that he would do what he did in terms of, like, unlocking Dwight, for example, with the Magic, right? Which is basically surround Dwight with a bunch of shooters make it happen um something makes me believe that like scan is someone that isn't good at shifting the way he thinks and like zion is obviously like a whole new beast he's got all these different pieces so i don't know but the question is also like do you want to go into the situation where think about how many of these young players get wasted by like just this coaching carousel that happens Right and never get continuity in terms of system, the way things should operate. Um, so I don't know what the, I. Lonzo Ball I think is gone, but I do think they keep Stan for at least another year. Um, I bet that New Orleans kind of pegs this as like, hey, this is sort of like a healthy Zion year, but we were learning, you know, making some moves. They I think they really tried to move Lonzo at the trade deadline. Um, and obviously, like, with him being a restricted free agent, they didn't get what they wanted. But um, it, it, for sure, it's been very disappointing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's too bad. Near at the depths of the West, one other thing that we've got to hit on before heading to the East is, I don't know how we haven't talked about this yet, but Pokushevsky and the OKC Thunder, Near, is, is Poku our new Giannis? Because we, we had a man crush on Giannis when he was in his you know, first and second year in the league. Is Poku our new guy? <laughs> um, I mean, he's going to have to gain a significant amount of weight. Um, but what an interesting prospect for the Thunder. I mean, it's kind of a guy that, like, everyone kind of slept on. But he has, like, a lot of flashes of a guy that, like, give him a little bit, a couple more years to just develop his body. Um, but could be one of those like hilarious just like comes out of nowhere type players i definitely not a Giannis type yeah um but he's de- like just talk like with the okc's like war chest of draft picks like this is all just you know um gravy that like it could just be like half these players don't bust and it wouldn't matter because they still have whatever like 17 first round picks in the next seven years um but if you hit on a few of these that's just like hitting the lottery uh, in itself. And so it's like an additional first round pick that they get that they could just like play around with. Um, so it's great to, I mean, for the Thunder, I'm sure they're just like, yeah, we'll take whatever you've got. Yeah. Uh, How hilarious point. has this Thunder season been? They've like 
tried to tank as much as possible and like they keep winning. They're they're 20 and 33. Like they should easily have the worst record in the league. They just like shut down SGA. They're sitting all those guys. They have a full on G League team and like they keep winning. <laughs> I mean, they're just um they remind me like I mean they're the closest thing to like a college basketball team. Their you know, their age was younger than Baylor. <laughs> yeah. Like that's crazy. Um, so I think a lot of these guys like also treat the team kind of like a college team, which is like, they're almost just like trying out constantly. Um, and it's like to some of these guys, I wonder if they think like, yeah, getting to play for the Thunder right now is like showcasing my talent to all the other teams. Cause like the Thunder are notorious for just flipping these guys. So they're like, oh yeah, this is just me like trying out. Like if I was on a G League team, but I'm getting to play against the NBA to prove my case. And then if I do well enough, the Thunder will flip me to another team that might be better. And it's so it reminds me a lot of these guys. Like you could just tell they're working really hard. Um, and so I think like that's where they've just kind of like ended up in the situation where they can't even tank completely um, the way that other teams are because they're just like winning these random games. Right. They are a terrible team now, though. <laughs> yeah. I have to say. Their roster, like, I mean, I love Poku, but like, um, they right now they're just decimated without Shea, um, and it's just a weird collection of guys that they're just throwing up there. Yeah. Um, Near, let's jump over to the West, and I mean, we, we can just definitely start with the Raps. I mean, where are you at with this team? Um, is it time that we like you know just throw the tank in? We've kind of been talking about this. This is our best chance to get you know a top five pick. Um, Gary Trent Jr. goes off for 44 points on 17 of 19 shooting, which was absurd. Where are you at with the Raps right now? I mean, they rested Siakam last night, and then OG today. Obviously, they say it's because of the five games and seven nights or whatever. But um, I'm fully embracing the tank. I thought last night against uh, Cleveland was just a terrible, terrible win. (laughs) for us um because that would have locked us into the standings with like cleveland we've been a game behind washington i am looking at the standings completely upside down yeah and i have been i every time i go to the standings i actually go to percentage and i just flip it right um so that's how i'm looking at things which is pretty depressing but to your point i think it's like um this is a bit of a lost year where it's clear um we've had issues with like covid weird start to the season um if we can land like a potentially you know top seven eight pick um there might be just that potential of like getting a guy that like you put with that core of Van Fleet OG and Siakam um and you could possibly I, I keep talking about this like accelerated tanking which a lot of people argue with me about because they're like there's no such thing um but in a sense maybe there is like we're you just have a bit of a down year. You get a good lottery pick and like just build off of that. The way that like the Warriors, for example, you know, getting when they got Wiseman. Um, obviously, things are kind of going south this year, but that was because they lost Clay again, so they don't have the core that they have. But like next year, when they have Curry, Clay, Draymond back, uh, sorry, Clay back with Draymond, you know, they'll have Wiseman, another probably high pick again. Um, you you just like add these pieces that like you can just develop, you know, in a good winning organization. And some of these guys might be fast track. So I think 
it's good in that sense. But man, Raps fans do not want to embrace tanking. And it's just fascinating because it's we're a couple of years removed from a title, and I get it. But like, we lost Kawhi, like, which is a huge reason why we won the title. Like, it's it's, we, it's the reason. Yeah, like it, I don't know why there's this belief that like, as much as like last year, we did really well in the regular season and all of that. But like, it's clear we're just not part of the top elite teams anymore. So we've got to like regroup here. Um, and there's no big free agents on the horizon. So like. To me, it's just shocking that Raps fans are adverse to tanking. Yeah, no, this is fine. Embrace the tank. Um, let's get a let's get a lottery pick, and then we got this core. Uh, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen with Lowry, but Freddie at the one, Gary Trent at the two, OG at the three, Siakam at the four, and then we'll see what happens at the five. Maybe we can um, grab a five in the off season, or we need to. I heard us linked to Jared Allen, which could be interesting. Um, which I would be, I'd be cool with that. But that's that's a nice young core, and yeah, I don't think it's like upper. It's definitely not upper echelon uh, in the East, as we just saw this year, basically with that core. But at least it's a young core that we can grow around for the next three or four years. And then, you know, when you have Masai and Bobby Webster, there are there are opportunities <clears throat> to snatch stars to then link with that core to be that next Kawhi to put in there. As long as you have like the foundation then you can make that move. But without the foundation, then you have no hope. So I'm, not, I'm okay with this plan. Yeah, and I also think, like, you know, when I talk about, like, us tanking this year, people are like, oh, well, who's there in the draft that's going to even make a difference? And I'm like, it's not even specifically that. It's like you've made your draft pick so much more valuable. Um, and so if we did want to do a trade, like, to even get into the Beal sweepstakes, I'd imagine – you're not even getting a conversation if you're not getting a high lottery pick involved in that deal. Like, regardless, any other star, you just, like, increase the value of your pick. Like, I get the PTSD that Raps fans have. Just think about it. <laughs> like, 20 years of just, like, mediocre basketball. Yeah. But we're not going to fix this by just... We're, we're going to return to that, like, that DeRozan-era type, you know... Mm-hmm. Seasons where, like, we kind of make the playoffs and just get booted in the first round. That wasn't very fun, let me tell you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was fun for the first few times, but, like, I couldn't, like, after the fifth year of doing that, I was, like, ready to move on. And so I think let's just, like, I think tanking has become associated so much with this idea, like, a very toxic idea around, like, the way that the Sixers kind of, like, overtly, embrace tanking and things like that. But here, I don't anticipate the Raptors being in the basement for, you know, four or five years consecutively. Like, I think there were some major reasons why the Raptors well underperformed this year than they should have. Um, And you've got a young core that's still there. But that begs the question, is our core even that good? I don't know. Yeah. What do you think Gary Trent Jr. is going to get in the offseason? Because he's a restricted free agent. He's going on as what you would call an absolute heater. Uh, as for reference, OG got four years, $84 million. Fred got around the same. Do you see him getting that same money? No, no, I don't. <laughs> and yeah, it'll be, I mean, it's, it's definitely making a case as like definitely a valuable piece to have. He's obviously young. I think he's like 22. Um, but I think there's clearly still some major holes um, he doesn't like jump off to me in terms of like OG. I think you you were betting on like just this three and D specialist, right? Like, which is hard to find. 
I just don't see the D part as much with Gary Trent. So I find him like a bit one dimensional in that sense. Um, so I'd be surprised because I feel like the Raptors made a calculation that Norm would get more money um, on the market than Gary Trent would. And that was kind of the reasoning behind mm-hmm. their trade is if they get the bird rights to Trent, they could like just sign him for much cheaper than what they would have had to but, sign Norm Powell for. Interestingly, like the market is high. Like Joe Harris, for example, got four years, 75 million. Like what's the Gary Trent Jr.'s agent is going to say, yeah, give him that deal. You know, he's not this exact same three point shooter, but he's, he's probably a better defender than Joe Harris, even, you know, though Gary Trent's not elite. Like why would he not get that deal? Wait, so what's Norm going to get? <laughs> I didn't realize Joe Harris got 475. Yeah. <laughs> that means Norm is going to get like 490, yeah. 95. Something like that. Oh my God. What, what's These are the times that we live in. Right. Um, well, in that case, yeah. I mean, yeah, I forgot that there were a bunch of wings that got some pretty bloated contracts. I mean, the Joe Harris one, like, I'm sure the Nets would love to, to renegotiate that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's always tough with like a restricted free agent, right? Because like, you just don't know what the market might be on a guy like Gary Trent. Um, so you kind of have to like just make sure you don't go too low or anything like that. Um, but having the rights to him, I think, is definitely helpful because um, what's interesting about restricted, obviously, is if another team puts an offer sheet, it goes against their cap for that whatever 48-hour period. Okay. So some teams might just be nervous if they know the Raps are going to resign them and then we lose out on a different player. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out because I'm sure for the Raptors, if they can just sign them as quickly as possible, um, it removes the like, oh, all these guys are off the board and now these teams are just putting out these massive offers for him. Um, but uh, yeah, that makes me a little bit nervous though because... I don't know if I'm that sold on Gary Tran. Again, my whole thing around this is how much do we want to lock in money-wise to this core? Now you're spending, like, look at, like, we need a big, you know? I Chris Boucher, I'm, you know, I think he's good, but uh, clearly there's some major weaknesses, mostly in his inability to kind of, like, not jump on every shot. Um, he draws a ton of fouls. He is terrible um, as a rebounder on the defensive side. Like offensive boards, crashing the glass is great, but like defensive rebounding is not there. So to me, it's like, that's a bench guy. Like we need like an actual starting big. Um, and we don't have that. It's true. Cause you know, contracts wise, we've locked in Fred, OG and Siakam. So if you pay Gary Trent, then where's the money for the center? So that's going to be tough. What are your thoughts about Siakam? I mean, this guy was a darling of the franchise you know, as recently as, you know, pre-bubble, basically, pre-bubble last year. And then now, you know, he's got, he's had a up and down year. He got in conflict with Nick Nurse. Where do you think he's at? I mean, do the Raptors still view him as the guy for their team? Man, like the, you know, when he had sort of the breakout year, um, it's tough because like, I think, we always wondered him being the main guy, what would happen, you know, and we can kind of see it. It's just like so much pressure and his like field goal percentage is way off of what it was. Um, he's taking way more shots. Obviously that makes a difference, but to go from like a 55 
you know, field goal percentage to what he's now at like 45%, like that 10, 10 point swing, um, adding in all those shots, like it's just a lot of volume that he clearly can't handle. Um, and I think it's just some of these guys, like it's a lot of pressure put on, you know, at an early stage of their career, um, especially when the talent doesn't fully line up with like guys, like an example I'd give is like Donovan Mitchell. You know, that guy was built to take on the pressure and just be like, I like, I think I'm so talented that like I can handle this. I don't know if Siakam, like Siakam kind of got thrown into this like great situation where he like really developed, um, brought in his, like, he was like a, a great role player, had his thing. Being the guy, I just don't know if he has it. And like the, the coach stuff worries me with him where you never want to hear stories like that at an early point in a career because it's just like signs of what's to come. Absolutely. Where if he's having these kind of like situations now, especially with a coach like Nick Nurse, who he has experience with, like it's not a good sign for what the future holds. Totally. Like you don't hear stories like that with like Donovan Mitchell. You don't hear stories like that with Jamal Murray. Like, you know, all these like younger stars, like they're not lashing out at their coach and things like that. Like Tatum, like you don't hear that. And so it concerns me that it's like Siakam that's getting like suspended for a game or fined. Um, so just overall, I hope, you know, people keep tracing it back to like the COVID stuff and being in the bubble and it affected him mentally. Like, I just hope he finds this group back and maybe it is like getting back to Toronto and having the crowd, you know, he's definitely fed off of that a lot. Uh, maybe that changes things. Absolutely. It's going to be a very interesting offseason for the Raps. Near at the top of the East, you know, we've got the Sixers and Nets uh, actually heading into tonight's game with identical records. I wanted to ask you about Ben Simmons because I've been confused by this man over the last couple of weeks. Over the last two weeks, he is averaging 10 points, six boards, four and a half assists on 45% shooting. But, like, let me read a couple of these lines out to you. 13, 3, and 3. 7, 7, and 4. 5, 13, and 5. 12, 4, and 6. Just seems kind of lackluster. Uh, what are your thoughts about what's going on with Ben Simmons? You know, prior to that, early part of the season, I feel like when we recorded last, we were loving Ben Simmons. We were talking about Defensive Player of the Year, right. just the way he can lock down guys. Um, I've also noticed he's kind of tailed off. And and it's weird because not much has changed roster construction-wise or anything like that. There isn't like a new adjustment. Um, I I can't tell you where that, you know, that tailing off is happening. Um, but the Sixers need him to perform at the level that he was performing early on in the season because otherwise... You know, that like, for as much as, like, Ben Simmons has deficiencies, he's clearly, you know, their second-best player and is extremely important to what they do. Um, I do wonder, with Embiid being out, did that have an impact where, you know, being a little bit more of, like, the focal point is not, you know, it, it's a bit weird for how he plays. Maybe he needs that guy in the paint that attracts a lot more attention, opens up lanes for him, things like that. So I'm not ready yet to really kind of like write him off. He's always been a weird player to kind of like understand. Um, but I do have to say the last few weeks have definitely been concerning. And, you know, with the Sixers, they 
they didn't really get a ton of depth or anything like that at the trade deadline. There wasn't any sort of like um, big moves or anything like that. So it'll be interesting to see with, you know, how they are down the stretch, especially with the way the Nets have retooled, basically adding every player from like, you know, 2011. Um, and, and the Sixers don't really, didn't really do anything with depth. I know. I was watching a Nets game the other day and, you know, just seeing like Blake, LaMarcus, um, Kyrie, you know, I guess Harden was out, but just seeing all those guys on the same team, it was like the 2010s, like in a bottle. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, they, they were able, them and the Lakers were essentially the big buyout teams, right? Like um, Miami was always talked about in the mix, but it's led like, I know Woj had an article recently where execs are trying to push for new rules because they feel like the buyout market's a joke. Um, it's like these teams are just like, these guys are just essentially playing them, uh, depressing their value so they can't get anything on the trade market for them, then getting a buyout and then joining a team like the Lakers or the Nets, like these big market teams. Um, and it's just like, a, it's an unfair system. And so like one of the rules they're proposing is like, one, have the buyout before the trade deadline. And also, it's just like a blind bidding system. You know, like you can't, it's like a waiver system, mm-hmm. um, which I think I actually back. I, it's annoying that like, and that's like such low cost to them in yeah. these additions. Like I know chemistry wise, people talk about like, well, you know, does it make much of a difference or anything like that? But like, I'm sure Aldridge and Griffin at a certain point will be happy with bench rolls. And imagine just having them play 15, 20 minutes in an important playoff game Um, for as much as their deficiencies are like, you still have these talented players. Um, And it just seems so unfair. You can just like stack the deck, like the Lakers. Great. Anthony Davis goes out for a while. You get to pick up Andre Drummond for nothing. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't have as much beef with, with it. Like, I don't know. I don't really, it doesn't bother me that much. Um, I'm not sure why, but I guess this is kind of like entertaining to see all these guys on the same team. It would be cool to see Blake and LaMarcus like get a, get a ring, even though it's really not how, you know, we envision these guys getting rings, but you know, they've been, they've paid their dues. <laughs> they've, <laughs> they've been in the league for a while, so I, I wouldn't mind seeing them get the ring. I did, speaking of the Nets, I did want to ask about KD and uh, you know, his exchange with Michael Rappaport. Um, you know, he's back in the, on the floor now and that's great to see, but what did you make of that? So for those who didn't catch that, you know, he, Michael Rapport, uh, comedian and filmmaker posted some uh, DMs that Katie had sent just with all these like child, childish language, homophobic slurs, all this stuff, stuff that you would see like a teenager, a teenage kid posting. And then near, I know you and I have always, you know, tried to delve into Katie's mind from a psych perspective. I mean, what, what, it's so fascinating that this guy is, you know, two-time champion, MVP, finals MVP, like one of the most talented players in the world. And yet you see something like that and you're just like, he's just so emotionally immature and he just, I don't know, there's just part of him that will just seems, you know, uh, unhappy or um, something is, something is just off. Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, you brought this up because um, it seems like I've become his spokesperson uh, as I stand hard for KD. I remember when that happened, I I had to just take a breather. 
Um, and it's like, cause a lot of group chats that I was in, it was just kind of like, Katie is easy to like vilify just because like he's a big star. Um, you know, arguably the second best player after LeBron of our generation. Um, but he's too online. He's always been too online and he's just become a lightning rod for this stuff. Um, whereas like LeBron, for example, corny that's he's decided i'm just gonna be corny is my personality you know but katie's decided to be like the kid that you're arguing with on call of duty right. you know um so specific to that incident i think it was terribly childish i actually thought katie's apology wasn't great at all no um which is surprising to me because like you know you think like an organization like the nets like steve nash um there would be some like leadership there to kind of be like, Katie, you got to like, you got to be much better than that. Where it's kind of like, it was not a non-apology. The one thing I will say about, and this isn't to, um, to put in context, like Michael Rappaport and Katie know each other. Mm. So it's two friends. Like we've said dumb shit to friends and like, you never expect a friend to kind of like leak that out or anything like that. And I think, that was just like, the whole thing was dumb and childish. But to me, it does like, to your point, like I've always wondered about Katie and I've, you know, we followed him his entire career where he's a guy that just like has always struggled taking criticism. Obviously there's the famous Katie burner accounts. Um, and I don't know what it is. I think, um, you know, there was that great article that came back a while ago where after he won his MVP, right? Like, you know, being like the second pick, like never actually like um, being sort of the number one guy ever, right? And finally like making his own. I, I just don't know what, I, I do think there's some like mental health issues or whatever it might be where, why are you so online? And why is it that the circle that you surround yourself with has not stepped in mm-hmm. and been like, hey, you need to stop being such a child, especially with all the business ventures he's doing, all of that. You would think like the simple advice is like, don't go online and get into a Twitter comment feud. Like you're 32 years old, um, kind of move on. So I don't know. And he's never really had like relationship. I know there's always been like rumors in the deep internet that like, you know, he might be gay and like all these things. And, you know, for a kid that like kind of grew up with a single mom in a rough neighborhood, I think there's just things that like, we don't maybe not fully understand about KD. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just hope that he's getting the help that he needs. And I think it's it's tough to defend him because he's just so online for other people to just constantly like make that the criticism. And I've been definitely told like, you know, it doesn't condone the way he's acting. And I'm saying it doesn't, but it'd be helpful to like give him the space required to really talk about what he's going through or whatever challenges he might be facing because clearly something is something is going on. Totally. Something is definitely off. Um, and yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I wish he, I hope he is, is getting some help for that. But you brought, you brought up a really interesting point that about LeBron and KD and how LeBron's image is so crafted. And he went for this corny, as you put it, which is a hilarious term for him. Um, you know, it just, everything is so crafted and manufactured. And KD chose other route, actually, in a way to be more vulnerable um, and not be as manufactured. And as sports fans, a lot of the times we 
want people, we want our athletes to be more vulnerable and open and not be so fake. And then when he kind of does that, it has kind of backfired. Yeah. And I, I just like, I don't get it with him. Um, Cause you know, and it's, it's something where he's so talented and, and people know that, you know, it's like, it's the criticism that LeBron gets, right? Like there's always going to be people, LeBron haters, right? But like, LeBron is clearly so talented. Um, but I was just looking up like that quote that I was referring to when he was speaking to Lee Jenkins in that profile. And he was talking about how um, he says, I've been second my whole life. I was the second best player in high school. I was the second pick in the draft. I've been second in the MVP voting three times. I came in second in the finals. I'm tired of being in second. I'm not going to settle for that. I'm, be- I'm done with it. And I think it's just someone that like, has always been in the shadow of someone else. And I think he just never had the right tool set to kind of like deal with that kind of criticism. Whereas like LeBron, it might've been a little bit easier because he was always the best, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of like had cemented himself as like the number one, the number one guy. Um, and maybe there is different, like a different struggle with trying to, when you, th- you're just so close, but like can never get over that hump um, where you just deal with criticism so differently. Yeah, absolutely. And Sigmund Freud would say it all comes back to his relationship with his parents. So maybe there's something there too. And, you know, his dad not being in his life. Um, yeah. Nir, uh, before we wrap up, anything else in the East that you wanted to touch, uh, touch on? You know, you got the Hawks playing kind of well. The Heat and Celtics are still kind of floundering a bit. The Bulls picked up Vucevic at the deadline. Anything else that you wanted to touch on in the East? Wow, you just really, you know, Passed right over the Hawks, who are fourth in the East. <laughs> With your you know, boy, Bogdan. Yeah, and I mean, um, if you talk about, like, uh, just talk about takes that need to be revisited. Um, I had written the Hawks off multiple times this year, um, and they've, they've been surging. Um, and this is without, like, you know, they missed John Collins for a couple weeks now. Um but Clem Capella is clearly coming into form for them. Like exactly the piece that they were looking for. Bogdan, obviously now finding his form and Trey young has kind of turned it around. Um, Trey young started the season terribly, um, but is starting to find his groove. And I mean, talk about like what a potential four or five matchup right now. The first round would be the Atlanta Hawks versus the Charlotte Hornets. Like, <laughs> the NBA TV have, special. Yeah. <laughs> Like, would you have been able to predict that? Like, both teams, I don't think neither of us would have said we're going to be in the playoff line, let alone in the upper echelon of the East standings. Well, is it a coincidence that they're going playing better with John Collins out? Because there's been this whole back and forth of, you know, can he and Capella fit? You know, do him and Trey Young have had some kind of weird dynamic. So it seems like they're playing well, actually, without him. Yeah, and I mean, they were shopping him at the trade deadline, because he's going to be a restricted free agent. Like, talk about a guy that will get paid regardless just because of his athletic profile. Um, but he, yeah, he just wasn't fitting in with what, you know, he's not like a pick-and-roll type player the way that Capella is with Trey Young. And so he was a weird fit. So I think it'll be interesting when he does come back, like, what that's going to look like. Obviously, new coach in the middle of the season. Um, you know, obviously, Nate McMillan is really brought in whatever 
wasn't there before. Um, I don't know. Maybe those guys just needed a coaching change. Yeah. Um, and they're definitely playing really well under Nate McMillan. Um, defensively, they've become much better. But it's crazy to think that, you know, like the Hawks are like comfortably in fourth. Um, and, and, you know, we'll get some support. And they didn't really do anything at the trade deadline, nor did the Hornets. Um, didn't do anything. So, like, the East was, you know, outside of um, the Bulls, really, with that Vucevic trade, uh, a pretty quiet, you know, Celtics obviously picked up a little bit of depth um, with Fournier, but pretty quiet trade deadline for a lot of the East teams. I thought the Bulls would be better with Vooch. They haven't been very impressive so far. Uh, maybe they're taking a little bit more time, or maybe they're really just not that talented. And the fact that Vooch, as, ta- as great as he is, you know, he's not a great defensive center. So if Levine and Vooch are your two best guys who are, they're both, you know, pretty bad defenders, maybe you're just, your ceiling is just not that high. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think I initially thought they would have gone on like a little bit of a run. I mean, they're still in the play in game hunt um, where they would play the Pacers in that playing game right now. And that's an interesting matchup. And, you know, it could be interesting, but. To your point, maybe it is something where it's still just not enough to even be like a, a playoff type team, which isn't great for the Bulls because they did give up quite a bit of capital um, to get Booch. Um, so it'd be interesting. They don't have a like obviously Patrick Williams is an interesting, you know, guy to like keep an eye on, but like Kobe White has completely faded. Oh, uh, dude, um, too soon. I drafted him uh, in the sixth round, I think, and just uh, absolutely awful season. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, it's a weird East. I mean, you got like the Celtics barely holding on um, into the playoffs. Like the Heat have kind of had like waves uh, throughout the season, but obviously come playoff time, like you know, you're betting on some of these teams. But it's crazy that the first round could be something like the Sixers, Knicks, Nets, Celtics, Bucks, Heat in the first round. Oh, um, Nets, Celtics would be would so be fun. Great matchups. Yeah. And don't kind of, I don't know, for some reason I still believe in the Heat. I know they have like been so inconsistent this season, but I don't know, man. Just dude, they just got to get into the playoffs and then anything can happen with that squad. Yeah, and I mean, they were like, talk about like, they were connected to like everyone at the trade deadline. Um, so it's pretty crazy to me that like, you know, they weren't able to make any like sort of huge addition. Um, but they're obviously like, everything I've read is that they're like heavily, heavily thinking that like they're going to be the favorites for Beal. Um, so it's one of those things where like the heat are just kind of like, Hey, let's just keep riding this out. Um, and there's still potential for us to like land a big free agent. Absolutely. All right, Nir. Well, let's wrap up and it wouldn't be a ball cast up without a little, he's still playing. And this week's winner of he's still playing is none other than Anthony Tolliver who just signed a 10-day contract with the Philadelphia 76ers near. I saw that. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. Dude, Um, he he is immortal. He will never leave the NBA. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) This guy has... So he came into the league in 2008 with the Spurs, actually. Um, He played 19 games and, you know, barely saw the floor. But he's now been in the league for about 12 years. He's played on Detroit... Mini, Sacramento, Charlotte, Atlanta, Golden State, Portland, Phoenix, San Antonio, Memphis, and now Philly. 11 teams near. Crazy. And, like, talk about a guy that, like, doesn't stand out. 
in any way. Right. Somehow he keeps getting signed. Um, <laughs> so it's shocking to me when I saw that 10-day contract, I couldn't believe that he was still around. Right. And it doesn't help him that he looks like mid-40s. And, like, you know, he's, 30, he's 35, but he looks like, you know, John Sally, like late 40s. Yes. <laughs> I saw one photo, I think, when it was from that article, and I fully thought that was like, it was like a Hall of Fame announcement or something like that or like you know when the like the Sixers announce like you know legend Sixers legend you know is coming for like a game or something and instead I was like oh my god that's Anthony Tolliver I was like <laughs> I can't believe this um I can only imagine when he goes to the locker room it's like whose dad just came in yeah <laughs> um, crazy all right Anthony keep getting them checks Nier it was great to link up again for another ep of the cast we will get back on uh, right around the playoffs and do a little playoff preview. But always a pleasure to hop on the pod with you. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to another, you know, couple crazy weeks ahead of us um, as teams j- sort of jostle around and definitely fantasy playoffs coming up. So uh, it'll be a fun time. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the playoffs this year. I think there's going to be some really, really fun matchups. I'm looking forward to receiving multiple reverse jinxes from you this coming week in our matchup. Oh, yeah. I, I'm working on my timing. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I find out who I'm playing, I'm, it's going to be coming out every yeah. day. <laughs> All right. Thank you to the loyal listeners for tuning in, as always. Until next time, take care, y'all. Peace. Thanks for coming out tonight. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. I appreciate that. Uh. H to the is O, V to the is A. For shizzle, my nizzle used to dribble down and be.